everybody, and welcome to episode 20 of the Pink Bike Podcast. This one should be interesting, mountain bike conspiracy theories. I'm your host, Mike Levy. Brian is with us again. Brian, my boss, how are you? I'm so good. Good. So good. What's your What's your favorite conspiracy theory? Don't try to convince me, just tell me what it is. You probably don't have to convince me, I probably oh, believe f- already. <laughs> yeah. Just because it's my favorite doesn't mean I believe it. Mm. But the hollow earth theory is the best. It's easily the best conspiracy theory. Like, there's like uh, alien Nazis and stuff disappeared into a subterranean Dyson sphere inside the earth. Like, it's the Agarthans and stuff. It's so good. Hey, Kaz, how's it going today? It's going great. Great. What is your favorite conspiracy theory? I don't think I have a favorite. I'm not good at conspiracy theories. You don't don't believe in? You don't believe in any? I just want to. I just want to point out that we actually recorded this podcast, and he did say his favorite conspiracy theory. But then the helicopters showed up and stuff. And we had to delete that. And <laughs> yeah, start yeah. Again. Being silenced by the <laughs> aliens that live under the ground. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I can't think of one. You come on. You don't have something that you believe in that you're like kind of shy to tell people because you're being embarrassed. No, I don't. Yeah, I don't really. No one's like, listening. I don't know just about- tell me. <laughs> I don't know about conspiracy theories. I know they exist and I hear them. I'm like, oh, that's funny. Oh. Like, the aliens under the Denver airport. No, reptile. People. Reptile people. Come on. Yeah. I've heard that one before. Yeah. Okay. Casimir, you're demoted <laughs> okay. back to unpaid intern. Sarah okay. Moore, do you have a conspiracy theory that you like? Something you uh, believe I in? I Google a really long list on Wikipedia, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not up to speed on all my conspiracy <laughs> theories. Oh. You, guys are, you guys are showing like, me. shaking his you head guys. <laughs> Okay, so I'm pretty sure Google has all my information and, you know, they're going to use it. And Yeah. Okay, in lieu of a conspiracy theory, Sarah, tell us about the news. Yeah, it's almost the same thing. Um, we can start with some racing news. Lots of conspiracies there. Uh, the French National Downhill Championships were held over the weekend. Um, Benoit Coulange and Miriam Nicole won the titles. Uh, Miriam Nicole won by an impressive 3.64 seconds ahead of Marine Cabrou. Uh, Marine finished finish second last year in the overall, so um, some fierce competition there. And Benoit Coulange, I was looking it up because I'm not that familiar with his name. His best result last year was 43rd in the World Cup. He beat Lloyd Bruni as well as Loris Vergier, uh, so super impressive and uh, bodes well for him coming into the World Championships in October. He, he is so fast. I think he must have had some stuff going on last year. He is it's so incredibly fast. Yeah. I was looking through his results. I think he had like maybe a top 10. Like he hasn't had some some of those, you know, the, the results that get him known for beating like Rooney, I guess. Yeah. It's, um, impressive. it's an impressive start line for sure. For sure. Yeah. And yeah, there's tons of really fast racers as we know from France. So the national championships in France is almost like competing for a world, world cup result. And then some bad news from the event. It looks like Omari Carroll has injured himself again. He actually just returned to racing after his crash at the French Cup uh, in August, beginning of August. And uh, now he suffered a major crash and they actually had to take him off the hill on in a helicopter. So hopefully he'll be healed up soon and we'll you know, report on um, what happened when we find out more details. It sounds like it was a pretty bad one. Pretty serious crash. Yeah. Yeah, yeah anytime Omri. there's a helicopter involved. I know it's hard. Like they, he just had a crash and then he comes back and another crash. So um, pretty difficult being a racer when your body is uh, pretty important for your, for your career. Uh, in other news, no crashes. The Swiss Epic. Actually, there's probably lots of crashes. Who am I kidding? It's an XC race in Switzerland. <laughs> 15 hours long. Or yeah. Sarah, hours. The shade. Where did that come from? I <laughs> <laughs> so the Swiss Epic wrapped up after five days, and guess who won? Mike Levy. It's my dog Nino. Yeah, him and Lars Forster. Yeah, so they won after five days, fifteen hours of racing, and the women's specialized racing team of Annika Langvad and Haley Batten. She's an American. Uh, won for the women. So. It's so yes. much more vicious when Sarah throws shade. Like we should be nicer, and then all of a sudden, when we do say mean things, then they're so mean. It's not mean, it's just a fact that, you know, sometimes you crash on your cross-country wow. bike. <laughs> wow. <laughs> just uh, How many crashes do you think there were at the 15 hours of Swiss Epic versus the one weekend of Downhill World Cup, though? Oh, that'd be interesting. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if there were more crashes at the DH World Cup. 
That's what I would guess too. But there were probably more than a couple at that Swiss event. Yeah. yeah. Depends on the crashes too. Like XC people might tip over it and then the DH guys must be like ragdolling through the woods. So Yeah, more dramatic. Yeah, the results might a... be more painful in the DH ones for crashing. Yeah. yeah. Um we also had a really cool video launched over the weekend with Jackson Goldstone. Pretty cool to see all of our home trails in one of Shimano's This Is Home episodes. Uh and we also had a cameo from Pink Bike, Alan Golds. Did you guys see that? I did see that. Yeah. Goldsy. <laughs> Hi, Golds. <laughs> I thought he did a great job, and uh, yeah, it was cool to see. Uh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit of insight into Jackson Goldstone's life in Squamish and how he became so good. Yeah, it's not a bad place to grow up, and it's gonna yeah. be interesting to see because he's sixteen or seventeen now. Seventeen. Yeah. Great question. Somewhere. So he'll be. He's yeah, there, he's yeah. Gonna, yeah, but he's gonna try to race World Cups next year, so that'll be interesting to see how he stacks up. And I don't know. Yeah, Plus, I he has a whole going, bag of like flippy spinny tricks too so yeah i think he's going to the audi 9s event uh yeah. this fall so yeah yeah he's very uh, he's got you know can do all the different things so it's mm. interesting just just imagine it's like oh my i'm having such a hard time deciding whether i want to be incredibly good at downhill racing or slope style or free riding like oh just too much choice <laughs> yeah great problems to have yeah. <laughs> and if we look at some bike stuff. Uh, we spotted a new bike from Cannondale back in November, but now we've seen a couple better photos of it, not taken on a potato. Um, it looks like it's been refined since the fall. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about what's different, what we've noticed, uh, Kaz? Yeah, it's a, so it's a high pivot bike. Uh, kind of looks like, you know, a longer travel enduro bike, four bar design, but with that high pivot, we're starting to see a few more of those pop up this year. You know, they kind of first we saw them in the downhill world. Now it seems like it's trickling down a little bit. But um, yeah, the only news we have about this bike is it kind of come out maybe early next year, but we're not sure yet. It's still kind of in the in the development stage. Kaz, that thing sort of looks like a small size version of their downhill bike, doesn't it? But just instead of the two mm-hmm. shock positions, one shock position. Yeah. Yeah, so a little simpler. Yeah, so that would make sense. There's kind of, yeah, it's got room for a water bottle, so you'll be happy if you hop on that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, hopefully we get... Do you know how many travels it has, or do we do we have a good guess? I don't. I'd imagine 160, 170. It kind of seems like where the, the newer Enduro race bikes are going. Yeah. Uh, but again, this is just speculation. We don't actually have one to ride yet, so yeah. we'll get one as soon as we can. I mean, there's there's not that much they, they're going to be refining in terms of the mold. It's a finished carbon mold, but they might be messing around with that link and stuff a bit still, hey? Yeah, like the links, they're you know, just polished aluminum on this frame. So that's the thing that companies, as they get into those final stages, trying to make that shock feel as good as they can. So sometimes they mess around with the, the leverage ratios and things. So still testing. Looks like they got it at a bike park. So, yeah. That's a, a big brand doing a high pivot sort of mid-travel bike. Who else is big that does a does a bike like that? Like lots of small guys do. We see like Forbidden and Deviate. Um, who else? For a mid-travel seen- bike. We've seen that Norco. Um, yeah, I guess it's a pretty big travel bike. Yeah. but this could be too. We don't know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Ne- next year could be the year of the high pivot. Yeah, so, it just seems like there's a there's a lot of smaller companies doing them, but not a lot of larger companies yet. Well, I'm sure we'll see lots more exciting things coming up as the Intro World Series kicks off next week on Friday. Was there something you wanted to add about the Canada? I, I did. Uh, just that. Literally every bike at the at the uh, French Champs was was a high pivot. Those are downhill bikes. Yeah. So, well, they're all from the same brand. I, know. Also. I was going to say they're all <laughs> yeah. themselves. So. Yeah. Literally, <laughs> literally every single bike. Uh-huh. I mean, hey, that's cool. And then we can yeah. see then we can see a bit more about the riders. Maybe we should just make everybody ride the same bike. Parody, like a race of champions. Yeah, yeah there you go. I mean, I'd be for it. I don't think the other brands would like that. But no. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> field test. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Get them all on Grim Donuts. Uh, yeah. yeah, there we go. Perfect. Yep. With control tires. Of course. <laughs> Didn't somebody ask for control tires in the yes. Impossible Climb video? <laughs> yeah. Um, we also had a press release from Kelly's this week about their new EMTV. And they said it's made out of an all-new thermoplastic hybrid steel carbon composite that they say is 200% more impact resistant and 200% more durable without a weight penalty. And it's also produced in advanced 
robotic production oh. and it's recyclable oh. what do you think Levy? Uh, sounds like the future no it's it's a lot of percent better i love marketing sometimes <laughs> they're aiming high for sure it's 200 percent better than this thing that happens to be 200 percent worse yeah but that was also 200 percent better than the thing before it so now we're 400 percent better than the thing two bikes oh. ago well, it might not even been compared to a bike. That's true. Could have just been compared to like some better. AirPods or something. That's true. Yeah. Like this pen. Yeah. It's two hundred percent stronger than yeah. this pen material. Either way, it sure sounds interesting. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It sounds like they're doing something similar to the Gorilla Gravity guys, aren't they, Kaz? Yeah, it's kind of a, a more less human hands required to lay up the frame, and so you know, robots. Ideally, eventually, once you pay off your robots, I guess you could reduce the cost and you could have your factories huh. running. What do you hours. pay a robot per hour? Less probably than a human, I guess. Yeah, probably a little less. I'm not sure what the robot union is asking these days, but I think it's a little less than the. It's kind of like if we hired Levy at, you know, year one (laughs) and we give you a big lump sum. Yeah. (laughs) And then you just pay off the the amount, right? That would totally work. Levy would not just agree to that. I feel like you'd agree to that, Levy. I can just buy the rest of your years in a lump sum, right? I mean, I could have a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah, it's not a terrible (laughs) idea. Let's right, talk just later. invest it all, we'll right? Later. Dividends. <laughs> yeah, that's I'll invest it in a car. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing that was interesting with that press release is that uh, there appeared to be a new Shimano EMTV motor in the exploded views and a 2021 Shimano drive unit listed in the spec. Have you guys heard anything yeah. about this? Yeah, we're, we're aware there's a new Shimano motor on the way. Um, it looks like early early fall, but again, you have to wait for details on that. Top secret. It's cool. Well, the only thing I guess we can learn from it with this, with the blurred out photos and stuff, is that it does seem like it's a more open design compared to the Bosch and some other drive units is that Kelly has their own battery system for it. So hopefully that bodes well for the new system. And in other news, uh, we had we saw Hannah Bergman, a local Bellingham free rider with a new Red Bull helmet. She was presented uh, by Jill Kittner and Michelle Parker. And we've seen her name kind of around the intro racing for a couple of years. And then she impressed everyone with her free riding at the formation event in Utah uh, last year. And yeah, now Red Bulls presented her with a helmet. So yeah, super exciting for her. Um, have you had a chance to ride with her in Bellingham, Kaz? Yeah. Yeah. And anyone that doesn't know Hannah, she's super mellow and low key, but she is a ridiculously, ridiculously talented rider. Like it doesn't even, until you see what she's capable of doing, it doesn't quite comprehend, but it's definitely a name to, uh, to or a person to watch because she's gonna she's on the rise. It's really cool to see that she got that helmet and hopefully the resources from Red Bull just let her keep doing cool things. So yeah. Speaking of people to watch, Mike Levy did the impossible <laughs> climb. <laughs> Not quite the same level as Hannah Bergman. Sorry, Levy. Yeah, <laughs> That's a bit of a stretch. I'm sorry, Hannah. <laughs> Especially because it's a climbing video. It is a climbing video. Yeah. Have you recovered yet? No, no, I don't think so. I haven't read any comments yet, but I hear a lot of people think that they could clear that climb. A lot of people think that that climb is real easy. (laughs) Um, All I have to say is that it was way harder than it looks on camera, everybody. And it was wet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The East Coast crew called out saying that their average rides their daily rides are way harder and they could beat you. I... I'm not very good at many things, but I will say that I enjoy technical climbing and I spend a lot of time doing it and I do pride myself of being pretty good at it, relatively speaking. And um, yeah, that was really hard climb. And dudes from the East Coast, fly on over. I'll spank you on those climbs. No dabs. Open invite. Yep. That'd be a pretty fun video. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much climbing you did on this bike, Kaz. Privateer 161. Saw you had a review that went up today. Oh, I did some climbing. It was my like spring fitness bike because when I had had some downhill tires on it for a bit that I was testing, it was 37 pounds, I think. Yeah, it made me strong. You got extra fit. 37 (laughs) Uh pounds. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, it reminded me of the old days of like pedaling my demo with a dropper post around. So, yeah. Um, That doesn't sound like a, a great review for it. It feels like my old demo. No. Well, that the, the weight on the uphills reminded me of my old demo. Yeah, yeah. going down, it's it's different. It's it's cool story, and the you know the price is kind of the one of the big selling points of it, just because it is a you know, consumer direct brand. They are going for that kind of privateer racer market. So How much is it, Cass? Really progresses. Uh, I think the frame is like fifteen hundred with a shock. 
Yeah. So not the cheapest, like you probably find something a little cheaper, but definitely in that fairly reasonably priced uh, aluminum frame. It's probably, especially considering the geometry, if someone wants that type of geometry, it's probably one of the lower priced examples for them, eh? Yeah, yeah. exactly. And it does have like really progressive geometry. It's like a 490 reach on the large that I was, or P4, they do a P sizing system. Tell me about that C2 angle, Kaz. It's like an 80 degree C2 angle. Yeah. I think effective. So yeah, it is uh, very steep. So it feels different. And if you're riding just flat, mellow terrain, it's not going to be the bike for you, but you would kind of expect that if you're not buying a 160 bike to cruise around on mellow trails. Um, and there's, yeah, there's a few little things I think they could do to improve it, but I've been talking with those guys and it's cool that they're super receptive to feedback and they, um, they just, yeah, they, I think they're on a, a good little path, getting a little niche for themselves in the market. I like that the, that the little bike is 27.5 and the rest are 29. It makes perfect. It's perfect for when the thirty-two inch wheels come. The big sizes can go up to thirty-two. <laughs> that bike with thirty-two inch wheels, there's no way I could slow down. I would just be like, <laughs> "You need the." <laughs> it trick was already stuff a little breaks. bit hard to control. Yeah, I need yeah. double like the two brakes on each, two rotors on each wheel. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, it was an interesting bike. Kind of a big, smashy bike. But do they do they also offer anything with less travel as well? Uh, not yet. They're working on some stuff. Okay. Yeah, yeah that'll be interesting. This, probably this fall, there'll be uh, news about another one from them. Okay. So yeah, this was their first bike that they put out there. So kind of get it out and then we'll see where it goes in the future. Privateer XC bike is coming up. Yeah, yeah, you never know. So they got the weight down to nine pounds for the frame. That's the thing. Yeah, <laughs> like they, they, can, they know, and obviously talking to them, they know that they can't come out with like a 35 pound down country bike. That wouldn't be acceptable. Yeah. So they realize what their limitations are. And, yeah. But guys, um, I keep hearing the weight doesn't matter for anything. Yeah. For some people. Except XC racing. All right. We're going to questions next. Uh, always remember, people, ask us those questions in the comments below, uh, whether it's bike-related stuff, relationship advice, investment advice. We like to help. The first one is from Xanda23. Uh, his little flag says he's from America, but he's got a question about the French. He says... Uh, I'd like to hear if you have any opinions, if the French are doing something differently in their youth development for downhill racing. Currently, France seems to be by far the best, best at gravity with flow, Pyrion, Bruni, Nicole, and a ton of depth. Uh, how do you accomplish this? Yeah, it's nothing new, uh, Zanda. They've been doing some pretty intensive development with junior riders since, like, since downhill racing was a thing, isn't it? Wasn't it, Brian? They, you know, they were out there with video yep. cameras and doing all sorts of stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's no surprise that the juniors are coming up and killing it. I think they also, I could be wrong on this, but I think they also have a, because it's it's kind of formulaic, uh, the young riders aren't, I don't think they're allowed to specialize yeah, they're not. for a while. So so they end up having to race a lot of XC and they come, they just, when they arrive at whatever, the enduro or the downhill or whatever circuit, they've got this depth that, American and Canadian riders often don't. Yeah, I think it's it's changed a little bit more recently. But yeah, the last like that previous generation, they would have classes in school where you learn trials riding or you learn XC and down, like a, such a more well-rounded cycling education than anything that's offered in the U.S. or or Canada. Like there was, I I know some people that went to those type of schools, like mo, more of a sports school where they yeah they have trials as their class. So that's that's S- how you get Sarah, going. Sarah in Canada, so many racers are from Quebec. Why is that? Why? Why is it? Is it the French language that makes <laughs> yeah, you fast? Yeah, actually, no. It is because they there's really strong funding from the Quebec government. Like even when I was a junior rider, the Quebec government would give you um, funding if you if you were like in the top couple riders in the province. And uh, I've heard athletes that move outside of the province of Quebec but still keep their permanent residency in Quebec because the funding is much better than in the rest of Canada. I don't know what the other provinces are like, but I know that Quebec is um, definitely gives their athletes more funding than other ones. So, All right, next question comes from Cranky Pants. Uh, what does he say? He says, how the hell do you break the bead off of new carbon wheels when you're on the trail and you get a flat? He says he's an older dude, started mountain biking in the early 80s. Uh, hand strength is not what it used to be anymore, he says. And then he goes... Do I use sticks and rocks, Kaz? <laughs> uh, don't use sticks and rocks. I've seen that attempted. That's not a good tactic. But uh, don't be afraid of using tire levers. There's this weird like shame in using tire levers, but most people don't have tubes anymore, so you're not going to pop your tube. And you know, obviously, use care. Don't use like moto tire levers, but like a decent plastic tire lever you should be able to break that bead. Tire rim combos can depend. Like there were some 
I think some of the older NVs were almost impossible to get off of, but the newer, I'd say like the last batch of carbon wheels should all be pretty good. Just make sure you go around the whole wheel and break the bead from the bottom and the top of the wheel, not just where you're trying to kind of pop it off. But uh, yeah, don't be afraid of tire levers. I did really like that the alternative was either sticks and rocks or my hands, like, or tire levers, like, not even considered. Or the tools designed for the job, maybe. Yeah. 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 The other thing, too, one last note on that is that sometimes maybe the wheels weren't yours to begin with. Maybe they're a used set of wheels, and maybe the rim strip on it is really thick. Some people, to get the tires to seat better, they'll put an extra couple turns of rim tape on there. So the tire is overly tight. So just double-check that. Maybe it doesn't have to be that tight. So, um, Last question. N.W. Airy, uh, have any of you accidentally broken an NDA by revealing something early? It seems like you ride stuff early constantly. Any big slip-ups of note? Uh, that we can discuss. Kaz, tell us what an NDA is first. Uh, so an NDA is a non-disclosure agreement, and sometimes we'll have to sign those with different companies, say they have a new product coming out, but they would like to let us try it before it's officially announced. So we sign an NDA. It basically says that we won't go and post Instagram pictures and post up you know, articles and photos of stuff before an agreed-upon uh, embargo date. And so, uh, yeah, so we kind of agree to uh, the way it works. So we agree to that embargo date, and the trade-off is we get to try these products ahead of time. So when the embargo lifts, we can show all the readers, you know, as much uh, information as possible about that new product. And I should say, like we we agree to to NDAs because it's in the reader's interest. Um, to you know, here's a here's a marketing press release versus here are some actual ride impressions. We see that as a benefit, but it is a courtesy that we extend. It's not we're not here to be to post up news three weeks after other people. So sometimes brands have broken their own embargoes and that drives me absolutely nuts. Kaz, have you ever broken an embargo? Not that I, I mean, I think sometimes like dates or timing, like an article might end up posted a couple hours off because of a, we mess you know, up time the time zone. Confusion. <laughs> yeah. They're complicated, like especially like right <laughs> around the year, the time of year when the date changes you yeah know, like, converting cest to pdt to, to fe3t yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh now now are we, we in like a marketing presentation oh, acronyms. Again? <laughs> yeah. so i i do have a confession i have actually i did break an embargo once it was the news of sam hill leaving specialized and going to crc which was i mean how long ago was that six years ago seven years ago five years ago yeah, it was 2012 2012 no long time ago um so yeah, so basically the reason was that we didn't sign an NDA. I should also mention that first. It's just It was just like embargo news. Um, and the press release for it went out weeks early and it went out to a lot of websites, a lot of smaller websites and blogs and things with forums and stuff. And no surprise, it ended up on the forums and on the blogs and people were sharing it. And once the news is out, I think it's it's our responsibility to tell you guys about it. You know, I'm not breaking the embargo, but... Once it's out there, we might as well might as well tell you. And that's also that's what we operate under now. So that, like we we hold to embargoes as a courtesy, but if if the other media sites start sharing stuff, we're not going to not. And then at that point, it's news as reported by. Yeah, I don't want to make people mad, but I I work for to tell you guys about the new stuff. I don't work for CRC or specialized or whatever. And that's what I said at the time. I got a lot of angry messages and rightfully so because people didn't know, some people didn't know that other people broke the embargo. So it is what it is. I guess that kind of brings us to our discussion today. Eh? Speaking of embargoes and NDAs and secrets. Mountain bike conspiracy theories. Dun, 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 dun. Brian, do you have a... Do you have a favorite out there conspiracy theory that, you know, we read all these comments and people that, especially people, maybe they're not privy to how things work sometimes, to be fair, sometimes things can look kind of strange. Is there one that you're like, wow, that'd be cool if that was true? Well, oh God. So I'm, I'm nervous about this whole thing. Cause I, I don't, I think there's a danger of appearing like the, the corporate chills or whatever, like. Or like mountain bike industry apologists, and I, I, you know, we do work in this industry. Uh, there are lots of reasons not to trust I, us. I do apologize you know? a lot, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, you and you need to. Yeah, you exactly. To. <laughs> um, 
I don't know. I think you're right. Like for the most part, we do just have people aren't privy to how things work and assume and are, are, are skeptical and they should be skeptical. We've, we talked about that in the, in the reviews, like can you trust mountain bike reviews podcast? Like it's good for people to be skeptical. I think the ones that make my eyes roll the most is, is the, the derailleur cabal. My favorite one. The, yeah. <laughs> the like Shimano and SRAM are trying to hold gearboxes back so they can sell a bunch of SLX and GX replacement derailleurs and cassettes and things. Yeah. And like, I, I just, I don't know. I, or, or the ones with the, like the standards cabal, it's the same yeah. thing. Like, Oh, they're just, you know, it's like, Oh no, I want there to be standards. Yeah. Please. Yeah, yeah exactly. Standards are good. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize these companies don't want to talk to each other ever. So there's like the, the idea that they would combine to make some like massive secret force to hold back product yeah. or to like control the and industry. They're not very good at communicating I've, even inside the companies. I've <laughs> definitely seen comments where we're also in on this derailleur cabal yes. where, because I, ta- I talk a lot of shit about gearboxes because they're crap. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, that's just what I think. It's not, It's there's no, there's nothing holding it back. If gearboxes were amazing, we'd be using them. And guess what? Gearboxes are out there already. There's tons of them. They're called internally geared hubs. There's a reason we don't use them. Anyways. Um, consider this my formal application to the derailleur cabal. Please get in touch. Yeah, same here. <laughs> yeah. 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 You can start sending the checks. I don't know why they haven't showed up, but please. I'm not even doing it for money. I will do it because I believe in the cause of the derailleur. I'm all for gearboxes and them getting better and new new technology that you know i do think that a weak point on the bikes are 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 derailers like they're they're pretty exposed out there but they also work pretty damn well and i haven't seen anything better so when they're better i'm in but until they're better i'm not yeah i i want to i want to know what this derailer cabal would look like you know, like it's how people think about whether they say with the the world is ruled by you know like the the seven people sitting at the triangle table or whatever it mm-hmm. is, and there might be some truth to that, but we won't go down that road. <laughs> but <laughs> oh jeez, but like, do people think that like SRAM and Shimano are like they they got some office somewhere and they're all sitting around like laughing and smoking cigars and. <laughs> They roll up in a limo, hand out a package, and drive away. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. This is not how this works. It's the two cars. It's the two cars at the abandoned loading docks, and they just like drive up to each other, driver yeah. side window to driver side window. Yeah. Three or four words are exchanged, then they quietly drive okay, off. Okay, question. Yeah, Shimano would definitely be in a Toyota Century with the Japanese mm-hmm. executive in the back seat, hundred mm-hmm. percent. And he would have mm-hmm. that little thing down so he could put his feet through the front seat because no one sits in the front seat except his feet. Who, what kind of car would SRAM have at this loading dock meeting at 2 a.m.? Is it German or is it American? That's the question. Uh, I'm going American. Yeah, I th- when I, I think Chicago, you know, when I hear SRAM. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the HQ is. <laughs> like a Pontiac Grand Am with like big rims. Maybe. With like a big eagle. It needs a big eagle on the front. Uh-huh, like on the hood. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sram, if you're listening, put some marketing yeah. budget toward the eagle. Yeah. <laughs> towards yeah. the derailleur cabal. Yeah. 29, 29 inch wheels on that car. Reach out to me. <laughs> yeah. We've got so many bad marketing ideas. Oh, uh, terrible. Terrible. Yeah. We can, this would be great. There's another one that is probably less of a conspiracy theory. There's definitely some truth to it, unfortunately. It's everyone's on steroids, everyone's using performance enhancing mm-hmm. drugs. It's a hard one. Like we should cover some more doping at some point. I think it's an important topic and we should be again rightly skeptical of abnormal performances and I think it's naive to assume that there's doping that or no doping that happens at the highest levels, especially on the downhill and enduro circuits like man, people act so surprised and it's like really there's a lot of money in this. Mm-hmm. Um on the other hand, it's like it's a horrible insinuation. It can destroy careers. Even just the insinuation can destroy destroy careers. So, probably not the place to talk about it uh, in a in a haphazard podcast that we uh, you know planned a couple hours ago. It's not it's not the time and place. Yeah, you- uh, yeah. That's not and that's not also not really necessarily a conspiracy theory as like a a rumored existence in the sport. I yeah, guess. it's it's such a bummer though when it almost doesn't matter who it is. Anybody who wins. 
you scroll mm-hmm. through the comments. You know, I know there's a reason for it, but man, like, just imagine you've been busting your ass for 15, 20 years, sacrificing so much, and these people are just like doper, 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 doper. When you're one of the good guys, and no doubt that happens. So yeah, that that would be hard to to take. Yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of that one. I know I like to believe the best in everybody, but. You know, but then it always yeah. gets re- ruined because then, like, yeah, you're like ah, oh, him. And too, then you just become too. cynical about everybody. Yeah. And yeah, did, Kaz, did you like did you believe in Lance back in the day? Did you believe he was clean? If you think back, I never believed in Lance. No, but I always liked Tyler Hamilton. So yeah, I was like, he was like my guy back in the day. We, he raced a Mount Washington hill climb, and I raced it like the same time. Obviously, I was a junior and not in the same level. But I was like. I think it's around the same. Anyway, I don't know. Tyler Hamilton. I like looked up to the dude, and I was like, oh, yeah, that whole twin excuse didn't. Didn't work. No. I read Lance's books. Yeah, they were good. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah. Tyler's book was good too. Yeah. Let's go to something a little more humorous. That Pink Bike has a stake in Scribd. Can you explain what Scribd is and what these people are talking about? Yeah. So Scribd is the way that sometimes we display the results from World Cup races. Because what happens is the moment that a World Cup race concludes, the UCI sends over a PDF with the results, and we want the readers to see it as soon as possible. And unfortunately. Pinkbike system doesn't allow us to display PDFs very well. And if so, we use Scribd, which lets us display PDFs medium well. <laughs> because <laughs> less, a lot of people, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. It works on like some phones from some time and some computers from some time. So it's not the best system. But unfortunately, screenshotting and putting those results up for like 140 riders also isn't the solution. So uh, there's no conspiracy. We just haven't found anything better. We're working on it. Uh, we're getting better at the screenshots of like the top riders, but the problem is that the PDFs are encrypted. So when you try and just like copy and paste all the data out, it just looks like a unintelligible gibberish. And um, I don't know, I'm not sure why the UCI does that. But their bike results. Why do they need to be encrypted? China doesn't care about bike results. <laughs> I don't like Russia's <laughs> yeah. not listening. I don't like. I don't understand. <laughs> but even copying like any PDF, like the lines, I don't know. Maybe there's yeah, they another way of doing general, it. But it's but... pretty difficult to copy a PDF. Um, but yeah. yeah, and then screenshots obviously aren't searchable and aren't, uh, yeah, you can't really work with the data or anything. So Scribd is a, it is a better, slightly better way to do it. Yes, we should have a better way. I kind of just oh, yeah. want to fess up to having a stake in Scribd, really. Yeah. Sorry, yeah how do you guys, think you say you it? Scribd or Scribd? Scribd sounded Scribd. good. I feel like the way Scribd sounds, I've definitely been yeah. calling it Scribd, though. But I like Scribd because it sounds better. Like, <laughs> yeah. Either way, we apologize, but we're also trying to get your results as quick as possible, so... You might still have to deal with it this season. We'll see. I'm going to just split the difference and say it different every time. That's yeah, what I that do. Works. It's definitely scribbed because there's there's no E. I wanna, I'm going to pronounce it how it's presented to me. Yeah. There's probably a trademark on scribed, so they won't scribbed. Yeah. yeah. Also, people, you shouldn't notice. Once racing resumes, they're going to be so happy, even if it is in this format. Yeah, you can figure it out. Yeah. Another one I wanted to touch on, too, is the spy shots one. I like that one. Sometimes they are real spy shots, people. But yeah, a lot of times they're definitely not. Like you get some company that has a new bike and it's never been seen before, but they made the mistake of taking it to Crankworks for test laps. Like, dudes, (laughs) come on, you know. (laughs) We're racing this on the World Cup this weekend, but it's secret. Don't take a picture. (laughs) Yeah, that's called called smart, inexpensive marketing. But Mm -hmm. lots of times we get a pink bike user who was in a lift line and sees something interesting and takes a photo with a cell phone and sends it to us. And yeah, they are real spy shots. Also, it's, it's kind of our job either way. Like whether the company intended for it to be leaked, quote unquote leaked or not, it doesn't really matter. It's if somebody's racing it on a world cup, we, it's our job to tell people about it. Like for sure we can be cynical and make jokes about it, but like, Still a yeah. job. And I, I would like to point out that we've gotten a hell of a lot better with using that phrase, spy shot. You know, years ago, we would have a situation like that where the company would like sort, sort of leak it obviously on purpose and us and everybody else would use that spy shot phrase. I'd like to think we don't use it anymore when yeah, it's no. like so grossly obvious. No, we don't use it. Yeah, we just kind of use, if we say spotted, that means, you know, we saw something interesting, somebody showed us something interesting, check it out, but... Yeah, obviously they're not all like there's no spies out there in the woods like yeah. I, I will say that sometimes I think the the conspiracy is that people think that we're just like a marketing agency for these brands and that we are like in on whenever oh now is the best time to leak a spy shot da 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 and no like 
The brands aren't necessarily often as organized as you'd think. Like sometimes, sometimes somebody gave a product to somebody else and didn't tell them that it was secret or said, hey, it's secret, but you know, whatever, like just be chill. And then that person goes and rides it in the bike park. Um, or, <laughs> or uh, you know, a product manager doesn't tell marketing that they're going to go and enter, uh, enter an EWS race. Hey, Ken? Huh? Huh? <laughs> And Mike yeah. Levy, huh? <laughs> yeah. Hey, or someone, or yeah, yeah or definitely somebody's marketing out. and sales are not always on the same page at different bike companies. Yeah. yeah, or a few years ago, someone was out on a ride on a prototype and got a flat tire, and like a, basically a tourist came by and took a picture of this yeah. bike. and that was a great. That was one. definitely way before it was supposed to come out, but they got a picture. Yeah. Hey Brian, can you can you tell people how you sort of partition us off when we deal with embargoes mm-hmm. and stuff too? T- tell. Give them an idea how we handle that. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not it's not a perfect solution, but basically the way that we, we do get, obviously, brands come to us and ask about or want somebody on a bike early so that we can come to the table with a review or first impressions or whatever at launch. It's a good marketing strategy for them, and we think it's valuable for readers, so we do it. Um, but in general, the way we try and work it is that Somebody goes, hey, we've got a new bike, and they'll come to me and Kaz. We'll talk about like, oh, hey, okay, let's, uh, you know, that's one for Levy. Um, so then Levy goes either to the camp or gets the information. They send a bike. <laughs> Levy's shaking his head. Levy doesn't go trouble. to a camp. <laughs> we send Levy to Europe, to his favorite places in Europe, um, for, for one and a half days of riding, and then they're straight back home. And he gets all the information. He's not allowed to share that information with the rest of the editors. So we do sometimes have a situation where Levy knows what what the bike is. Levy knows all the information, but it's just his. And then, oh, hey, somebody races it on the World Cup. Boom, we have photos. Somebody else writes a spotted article. Levy's not allowed to tell the rest of the editors. He's siloed off. He can't tell anybody else what is on that bike. I mean, and to be fair, it's kind of silly, too. Like... If someone was listening to this from somewhere else, it seems like a little like, yeah, yeah. I guess silly is yeah, silly is the, the word I'll use for it. But it's how it works, and just a way to kind of be. Yeah, it's just how we try and respect the embargoes yeah. because we do want access to those bikes, but also respect basic, you know, uh, the readers from like. Yeah, we're not going to pretend it doesn't exist. The, yeah, the thing that exists. I know it. I know it sounds so silly, you know, the way the things that we're saying, but at the same time, you know, there's dealers that have bikes on the showroom floor mm-hmm. a lot of times and as soon as that new bike gets leaked you know sometimes it's months and months and months early and now that dealer people don't want to buy those bikes anymore so there's people's livelihoods at stake here too and yeah you know it's mm-hmm. is it's silly but at the same time there are some things to think about yeah exactly you don't want companies and dealers to be stuck with stock just because everyone knew i mean obviously the next latest and greatest thing is going to come at some point yeah. but it might not be ready tomorrow. So, Speaking of the latest and greatest thing, let's talk about planned obsolescence. Oh, the big daddy. The big daddy, because there's some truth to this one. It involves standards. And I should also say that we're going to do a, an entire podcast focused on standards and why they make sense and why they don't make sense. Uh, but for this one, planned obsolescence. Brian, what do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, like you said, there's definitely some truth to planned obsolescence. It's similar to the derailleur cabal. I don't... The the theory is like, oh, manufacturers are putting out things that they know aren't the future uh, because or they, they want things to uh, stop working in, in a year or two so that you can upgrade to whatever. Um, I don't think... I don't think that there's, again... Uh, group of shadowy figures around a, a table making these decisions. In a Toyota Century oh. and an El Camino. <laughs> <laughs> Not a table. <laughs> I do think that obviously people in in an industry are happy that the rate of change in the mountain bike industry stays high. But I will say that mountain bikes in 2020 are so much better than they are in 2010. I don't, and so many things had to happen between 2010 and 2020. Like the, it was, certainly wasn't the industry hasn't gone the way that the industry expected it to go. It's been reactive rather than a planned obsolescence. Okay, but Brian, I'm a consumer. Mm-hmm. 
142 just came out. 142 millimeter mm-hmm. axle sp- spacing came out. Boost comes out. And then there's this super boost thing. Dude, if I'm a consumer, yeah, mm-hmm. it looks freaking weird, man. Like what's wrong with 142 millimeters? My bike is stiff enough. Why is the bike that I just bought now hard to sell to somebody because the axle spacing is different when I wasn't going slow because of that axle spacing. I'm not going any faster with super boost. Two parts, and I don't want to seem like I'm the industry apologist. <laughs> like I always do seem that way. Yeah, I'm gonna let you take that role. Yeah, I'm not gonna apologize yeah. for any of this stuff. Yeah. This is. Um, I think it's. I'm getting yeah. angry just talking about it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm getting mad about it. <laughs> well, I, I, I think you can be mad. I don't think either boost or super boost need to exist. I think there are commercial reasons that aren't just oh we're gonna people have stopped buying new things. We need to introduce a new standard to reinvigorate sales things are getting too easy for the mountain bike consumer i don't think it's that the one that really pisses me off is the front we had smaller wheels and we didn't know that you know we hadn't gotten rid of the derailleur the front derailleur at the time when people started trying to make wider back ends to make more room and short back ends were all the rage there was reasons for people feeling like like these bigger rear axle or wider axle stances in the back had to happen but the front is the one that pisses me off it's like we already had 20 mil 110 Go, having 15 mil 110, just, ugh, I don't understand that one. Yeah, but have you ever seen a broken 15 mil through axle? Have you ever thought your fork wasn't stiff enough because of your 15 mil through axle? You know, Kaz, it's oh, dangerous. You, apologist now. But yeah. there are a lot of no, people out there who would say yeah to that. Who would say yeah, their fork. They, they broken. You've seen a broken. No, no, no. 15 not that axle? it's broken, but no. there's a lot of big riders out there that say they want their Pike or their 34 with a 20 mil through axle. Why doesn't my 34 have a 20 millimeter through axle? Grams. I think the, it's counting grams. I think the big thing is like we already had 110 by 20. If if we were going up to 110 spacing, why not just do it all at once and do it right? I think. Yeah, I mean, I think. I can explain how it happened. I'm not going to apologize for how it happened because, yeah, 20 mil was fine. We had them on our, our forks at the time. It's because it was a transition on cross-country bikes from quick release to through axle. So you had people mm-hmm. with 9 millimeter quick releases and then trying to get them to bump up to a through axle. 20 mil doesn't quite fit in. Was that aesthetic? It seems like it's for downhillers. People think mm-hmm. it's going to be heavy. So uh, the Fox and uh, Shimano basically decided that 15 mil is going to be the answer. RockShox held out for a few years because they didn't. They had their 20 Good. program going pretty strong. And then eventually they started coming out with like the Revelation and Reba with 15 mil, and now everything's 15 mil. And, and I, don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with 15, whether it's 15 or 20. I don't think it wouldn't, to me, matter one way or the other. I think the, the frustration is justified from, from consumers, but I also think that, uh, like you said, Kaz, there were commercial reasons that made sense. Like if you can't get people on board with... A 120 by uh, or 110 by 20 then then it's dead in the water we're trying to you know but i i think if i think if you look at the facts which i don't have i'm just guessing <laughs> <laughs> i just want to preface it with that i think they could make a 20 millimeter setup extremely light is is what has what you might have been implying but visually i don't think the cross country guys or people that were concerned with weight might have been as into it as they would with something new that they say, hey, this can be a little lighter. Maybe that was the case. Yeah, and RockShox has tried to kind of bring some more stiffness to the table with their torque cap things, which <sighs> they're pretty clever and they should work, but nobody else is biting. So it's like one of those things. That just... Yeah, I, just, I like the idea, but it's they're a bit of a pain in the ass because whenever you use a hub with regular size end caps, you kind of have to line yeah. it up in there. It's annoying, yeah, like... Yeah. But, but that's a good example of like if we really care about stiffness and whatever like let's uh, let's all jump on that i like i like the torque caps idea um it seems like free stiffness it, so having ridden bikes with a torque cap front end and without a torque cap front end back to back i noticed zero difference but i'm fairly light so and that was on a uh that was with the sid new sid so they they both felt the same rigidity to me i mean but lateral rigidity like that is a pretty easy one to for the scientists to mm-hmm. test so yep. i do believe that when they say x amount stiffer or whatever yeah. well if it's better everybody start using it that's the thing you know yeah yeah and hey the there's the whole other thing is stiffness as important as we thought it was 10 years ago yeah exactly right 
whole whole other podcast or 10 yeah yeah and then on top of that as well too let's not forget that we like to buy things you know Mm. like i like i go on and on about like don't buy new don't buy this don't buy that but like at the same time i love new stuff (laughs) who doesn't (laughs) and i'm super hypocritical i'm on a new bike every two weeks you know and they're they're amazing and yeah brands they're hampered by what people are going to want to buy and people want to buy new stuff yeah i I think Sarah, when we were chatting before, you had a good point about about iterations. Like we we shouldn't be surprised that brands are working on new things, even as current things come out. Like that's not a conspiracy. No, like it's a, the product takes a while to create, and then by the time it's finally in the factory, you know, the past three years you've been working on one version of things, and then the bike comes out, and you're like, oh, I've learned a lot in the past three years. Now it's time to you know, bring those to the design process and kind of start again. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's like conspiracy. I think it's just the way that companies kind of currently work. Um, at some point yeah. you have to press, you have to press print on the, on the, yeah, product, like you right? have to come out with a product. Like, I mean, I know there are product managers out there or designers that would love to work on a bike for 10 years, but somebody has <laughs> to pay them to do that. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. And by the time that bike comes out, it's going to have quick release yeah. axles. And, it know, will and actually like, still be obsolete whether you come <laughs> yeah. out with it in three years or in 10 years. They, <laughs> they emerge from the cave. They're like, guys, I've come up with the best way to run three chain rings on the front. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the perfect front derailleur. It's yeah. the perfect 24-26 combo, wheel size combo bike. Yeah. yeah. I think like when product managers and designers come out or engineers come out with a bike, they do think it is like the best bike that they've ever created. And then, you know, they're kind of sad when it doesn't like have a lifespan that's longer than, you know, a couple of months, like when yeah. Specialized came out with the lightest bike ever. And then what is it? The Mondraker last week is like, we're 15 grams lighter and all the Specialized guys are like, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And those developers and product, uh, you know, engineers and stuff, they're working two years ahead already. So, you know, yeah. we're in 21, it's the year 2020, but we're already reviewing 2021 bikes these guys are currently working on, I'd say, 2023 right now. So uh, it's an interesting timeline. Yeah. yeah, they're wrapping up 2022, 2023 is coming. So uh, they're working in the future. So it's a weird combination. Yeah, they're definitely so, always confused when you're like, what year is it? And they're like, yeah, 20, like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, it can can either of you tell in a good anonymous story about, about breaking a product manager's heart? I mean, yeah, I mean, I've definitely, I've definitely been on either whether press camp or ridden a bike and then spoken with the company about, you know, initial impressions and then kind of tell them what I thought. And sometimes, you know, modern technology can see their face in like a zoom call. And if you tell them like, Oh, I didn't think this was quite right. The, they just get that like crestfallen look like, Oh no, we thought that might be the case. You're like, it's sorry. Baked like, into it, their carbon frames for the next three years. Uh-huh. Oh, shit. <laughs> thought that might. Yeah. So those things happen, but yeah. I've definitely been at press camp and had a bike break. Which I mean, if you're a product manager and it's the, this one was in, it was for the original Trek Remedy, actually. Let's just talk about it. It was for the original Trek Remedy and it was in Mexico. Uh, we were in Copper Canyon, absolutely amazing. And there was probably 25 uh, mountain bike editors there for this big release. The original Remedy, it's first debut. And I remember, I think someone broke a chain stay or a seat stay three quarters way through the first ride. Dude, the mood, the mood was pretty, pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah. I had to happen with a set of, uh, reserve carbon wheels. They were on a like Santa Cruz was in town. So we were out shuttling and I hit a step down, cased the shit out of it, like a wood landing backside. So it was just like 50, 50, but broke the wheel on like our second run. And the whole part of this like meetup was to like our new wheels, they're awesome. And, and then I broke it. So it's obviously my fault. But they have a lifetime and, warranty. Yeah, yeah exactly. hundred percent my fault, but just, you know, I got to the bottom. I was like, I broke the rim. They're like, what? I was like, yeah. like, Oh, sorry. Danny no. McCaskill didn't break those ribs. What yeah, are you he, doing? Land as hard as I did. <laughs> so I, I mean, it would have broken any wheel to be fair, but you know, it's one of those things where you're like, yeah, everything, things can break and things can be better always. So I think just have to kind of roll the with field it. test. We just had some. We just had some some tough phone calls there. We had a broken rim with Cannondale. Uh, we had mm-hmm. a bike or two that I mean didn't really blow us away. And yeah, sometimes we have to tell the people how it is, and they know sometimes. And yeah, you know, it's always nice. I think for me that the 
the most refreshing part of the the ones that I enjoy the most is when a company can kind of take that feedback and just just digest it rather than being really defensive because some everyone's different you know some companies will get really defensive and up in arms and yeah. try to place blame but you know we're just out there testing things we're trying to be neutral we're not trying to blatantly smash things and wreck them so um, there are some companies that are really nice to work with even if you have you know slightly negative um, things to say they kind of take them in stride which I really appreciate that appreciate that yeah and one of the coolest parts about the job too is you give them that feedback and then a lot of times you get to see the next iteration of the product and Kaz and I, we've been doing this for a long time, and sometimes we've seen three, four different iterations of the product and watched it evolve and got to test every single one of them, and yeah, it's interesting. So, I mean, I think people are right to to be frustrated at the rate of change in the bike industry. There are certainly some things that have changed for reasons that aren't good, but I think change for reasons that aren't good hasn't necessarily been planned out obsolescence, like... I wouldn't say it's conspiracy um, no, in any yeah. in any of the things. That I can yeah, think of. more just bad timing or just no lack of communication because these brands don't talk to each other. You know, like Shimano doesn't call up SRAM and be like, hey, what are you guys working on? Like they get rumors, but they're not having direct like, let's change everything and mess with everybody meetings. I So I think that about covers it for conspiracy theories, although I definitely encourage you guys to put your funny made up conspiracy theories in the comments below. And uh, we'll we'll talk about the best ones in the next podcast. I hope there's some good ones. I think we totally forgot the one about how you're you're sponsored by uh, by Tim Hortons. We're getting the Tim Hortons money. That's wishful thinking. That's not a conspiracy yeah, theory. That's, just, <laughs> that's a whole inspirational. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you're going there three times a day, I feel like I spend too much money at Tim Hortons. I need that Tim Hortons sponsorship. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up with comment gold. The first one comes from Ciros, and it was on the Cannondale prototype article, uh, where I think we said it was spotted. Ciros says, looks like a light gray color to me. Not bad. Not bad. That's pretty good. That'd be funny if we just put the color of the bikes in the article (laughs) title. Like, (laughs) black, new track remedy. (laughs) And then we've got browner. And he says, they've recalled the products, but luckily for them, they didn't sell any, which makes this article essentially an internal memo. Ayo, what article was that I thought on? that was a pretty bad burn. Oh, that was a, um, the sweet protection. Sweet protection. They said they only sold 300 in North America. So and not- that wasn't even like the recall was just that they hadn't gone through the right testing. They hadn't gotten the testing done. The helmet passes all the Euro stuff. It was safe. I feel bad for them. <laughs> It's yeah. only safe in Europe, though. It's different here. The recall yeah. and the burn. Yeah, I mean, heads are different here. Yeah, yeah we're more delicate. Yeah. And last... Big egos. <laughs> last, yeah. we've got the R. He says, this is on the Impossible Climb video, and he says, you know what I like about this one? No, what about the Grim Donut comments in the comment section for the first time in months? I like it, too. We're going to come up with that video soon, aren't we? I don't know. I don't know. Are you? <laughs> we did it as an April Fool's joke. I was thinking the other day, <laughs> and so people were already like antsy for it at April Fools. Yeah. I will yeah. tell. I will tell you guys that Levy has submitted this this final script for the last bit. So I'll look that over. Yeah, today. we got. We have like twenty minutes of filming to do, and most of the rest stuff is sort of pieced together. It is so close, everybody. Let's end on a positive note. Grim Donut Part Two soon. And we'll see you all next week for episode 21.